the reading of the scriptures from Genesis chapter 6, reading verses 9 to 22. Uh, May God give us uh, grace to both read and hear the scriptures in faith. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it, the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of everything... Of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kind and of the animals according to their kind, of everything, every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. And take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So one of the beauties of the grace of God uh, that really uh, breaks upon uh, all of us as individuals, but also as a church, is that God is able to start over. Um. Not only is he able to start over, he is able to succeed when men fail. And that's exactly what we studied last week, the failure of the sons of God. They failed tragically uh, and, if you will, reduplicated the uh, sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. But God's not to be denied. Uh, The failures of men will not stop God, so he's going to start over. And God has a man by the name of Noah with whom he will start with. So from uh, the text this morning, chapter 6, verse 9, through chapter 7, verse 24, uh, we will uh, study God's provisions for Noah for safe passage through the judgment of uh, the flood, the conclusion of which God will start over again. So, uh, beautiful applications here in your life. Uh, I know that oftentimes we encounter great difficulties, but uh, our failures, whether they be 
personal to us or something that has happened to us uh, does not prevent God from starting over and from working again. Uh, This is the uh, great uh, story of uh, the judgment of cataclysm of the worldwide uh, flood. Uh, Why is there judgment? Because of the sin in the first part of the chapter. And what always follows rebellion that the sons of God partook in uh, verses 1 to 8, judgment always follows. Uh, certainly a corrective uh, element in our own lives to be very careful uh, because God is a just God and His justice here is going to break out in this cataclysmic event of the worldwide flood. Uh, it's important to recognize that this uh, flood is going to come because God is able to command nature. I love Psalm 29.10, the Lord said as king of the flood over this terrible event, the destruction virtually of the entire human human race, the Psalter says, God said as king over it. Reminded to us of His sovereignty and dominion that He sits over everything. Every event of our lives in every event of our civilization, of governments, and the history of the world. Because he's king. He's king over all. And so the psalmist concludes, uh, verse 10, yes, the Lord sits as king forever. Uh, Comfort yourself uh, with those words, but also remind yourself of all that it means uh, in terms of godly living. So in verses uh, 9 to 12, there's a prologue to the flood. Uh, The earth is corrupt. And Noah is God's man to start again. Uh, We are introduced to uh, Noah in uh, verse 8. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, It's a reminder to us that God always has a righteous remnant. Uh, Contextually, it's very important that you understand this. We're tracing the generations of Noah. More importantly, Moses is tracing God's remnant now through Noah. Uh, There's been failure all along the way, and there's been judgment all along the way. There was a judgment, Genesis chapter 3, there's a judgment here in Genesis chapter 6. Now there's going to come another judgment. But all along the way, God has a remnant. And Moses is giving us the generations of the remnant. Uh, He is uh, righteous. Uh, Moses says, in that he reflects the character of God. Noah, verse 9, was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and Noah walked with God. So his life exhibited, in a measure, the righteousness of God. True of all of us, we should so exhibit the same. Moses also says he is blameless. Uh, This word can also be translated whole or complete. He was a complete man before God. Uh, The idea in my own mind is that the prevailing culture of violence and wickedness had not gotten to him. He remained separate from it. And thus he was whole or complete. Uh, Psalm 119 verse uh, 1, How blessed are those whose way is blameless. It can be said of Noah who walk in the law of the Lord. The law makes us complete and whole. It keeps us separate and distinct 
from a corrupt and uh, evil culture. Uh, the final marker that I think is uh, incredibly important in terms of tracing the generation of the true sons of God, again, Genesis chapter uh, uh, 6 and verse 9 is the sentence that Noah walked with God. Very interesting, in the Hebrew text, the uh, tense is a reflexive tense uh, with uh, the sense of continuity in God's path. And that is a very striking thing for us to uh, uh, realize, that uh, no, he, Noah walked with God continually. He didn't walk a few miles and say, oh, this is too tough, I'm, I'm quitting, I'm out of here. No, he walked continually with God. And more importantly, on God's path. Uh, one of the things that we oftentimes hear in our culture is, uh, well, uh, Jane or uh, Johnny, you, you have your way, but I have my way. That's not the point of the text. The point of the text, he walked in God's path. Uh, God doesn't give us a cafeteria. He gives us his way, and there is only his way. So when Moses says that Noah walked with God, he is walking with God, according to God's way, in his way, for his way, and by the grace of God that enables him to walk with him. In that sense, Noah had a personal relationship with God according to the nature of God. That the very uh, attributes of God should be definitive of us. Uh, this phrase, walk with God, as you know, is found also in Genesis chapter 5, uh, verse 24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. As you recall, I believe that's a reference to the death of Enoch, and when he died, was he forgotten? No. God took him to be with him. And that's what God does for those who walk with him in his way, according to his standards and his character. And God always has a remnant defined in part by the character of Noah. As bad as things get, and they seemingly uh, sometimes get pretty bad, God always has a remnant. And how are they defined? They walk with God. His remnant walks with God. Uh, the reason for the restart I mentioned earlier that God is always able to start again. So the sons of God have tragically failed in verses 1 to 8. And so God is going to judge the entire earth and start again. The reason for that restart is in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. The tragedy is that the fall of the sons of God, in Genesis chapter 6 and verses 1 to 8, and the ensuing generations mean that the corruption has become so intense and so full that only one family in the entirety of the earth is left that walks with God. The verb corrupt can also be translated go to ruin. In the passive voice, as is the case here, it speaks to a settled description. In other words, an un unchangeable description. They are so corrupt, there is no recovery. 
It's like I've, I've heard uh, on occasion, uh, some people will tell the story. I have a very dear friend of mine, and uh, uh, wife or husband goes to the doctor, and the doctor runs tests and says, I'm, I'm, I'm so bad. Uh, the disease has so become so controlling in your body that there is no recovery whatsoever. That's exactly what's being written here. Corruption and violence is so bad that there's no recovery from it. Uh, and notice something that's very critical in the text uh, because it's very easy to overlook in the sight of God. The Hebrew phrase is literally in the eyes of God. In other words, God has been watching. His eyes are always watching. His eyes never close because he never slumbers or sleeps. And so in his perspective, there's no turning back. They've reached a irrevocable point the totality of corruption from which there can be no revival. And it's important to recognize uh, that phrase because his eyes are the only eyes that matter. Uh, we live in a world in which uh, most people just self-define their faith. Uh, they set their eyes upon themselves and they say to themselves something like, you know, I mean, I'm pretty good. No, that's not the defining point of judgment. The defining point of judgment, the eyes of God that's always upon us. And his eyes are unsearchable. And he knows not just the physical, but what's on the inside. And what he sees on the inside, in verse 11 of the world in the days of Noah, is that the cancer is so great, no turning back. The description of the times is that the earth, also passive, uh, is that the earth uh, was filled with violence. Verse 13. For the earth is filled with violence. The Hebrew word is Hamas. By the way, is that familiar to any of you? Well, it should be. There's an organization in the Middle East that calls himself by that name. We are Hamas. What does that mean? They're given to violence. We don't get our way. We're going to come and work violence. Well, the heck with the Middle East. You and I don't live there. We live in America. Hamas is here. People say that, look, if you don't love me the way I want to be loved, I'm going to come and work violent against you. If you don't give me social justice the way I want it, there's going to be no peace. That's violence. So the earth was filled with violence in the, the days of Genesis chapter 6 and verse 13. Now, our days are filled with violence too. Uh, in many respects, in a way that I've never really seen in our own country. Uh, but nonetheless, the entire existing civilization, save one family, is now godless and amoral. Uh, in contrast to the cultural mandate of Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, uh, that the sons of God were to fill the earth with the glory of God. Now the sons of the serpent have filled the earth with violence and corruption. And God's getting ready to act. It's a testimony that when men forget God, this is what happens. Corruption and violence are returned to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 without form 
and darkness is descriptive of the hearts of men. Illustrations, you know, from the standpoint of systematic theology, very important phrase, uh, not just depravity, but the defining adjective of total depravity. You take away the adjective, you redefine the noun, but it's total, an entire absence of holiness and an entire inclination to evil was the controlling influence in the days of Noah. It's the outcome of the fall, of course, uh, Genesis chapter 3, and that uh, men left to themselves will disintegrate into further and further darkness. So there's a profound need uh, for an ark because he's going to destroy the earth and he's going to prepare an ark through a man, through a family. Verses 13 to 22, uh, God announces judgment and the means for which uh, a remnant, one family of the entire living creation will survive to begin again. God's grace who's able to start again. Uh, So God announces to Noah that civilization has reached a limit or an end. Uh, Verse 13, For God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. Uh, It's a trigger point for God. Cataclysmic judgment, no turning back. God, if you will, is saying, I've had enough. It's over. It, It is a... It's a very dangerous point. Uh, The noun limit comes from the verb to cut off. So God's patience has ended. And now they're going to get fury. Uh, And the end state is uh, violence, which is now irrevocable. Let's reach a point of no return. That's why I sometimes get disturbed when I see uh, violence that breaks out in uh, streets of our cities and fires set and bombs thrown and on and on. Uh, By the way, there is a limit today too in which God will say no more. This fury will break out. You know what that limit is? It's described by the Apostle Paul. Romans 9-11. to when he has finished gathering the last of his elect, the end will come. It's a time that none of us know. But the point is, he's working grace now, gathering his elect, saving them by his power. And when the last one has been gathered, fury will come. Uh, the, marine, the means that uh, God will use here for deliverance is uh, Noah must make an ark. Uh, so deliverance is going to come by an ark. Uh, God, uh, God's going to fashion through Noah an ark. Now, it's very interesting, this, uh, this word for ark. It's used uh, uh, in only uh, one other case in the entire Old Testament. If you want to turn to the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 2. Um, we have uh, this word ark used there. Uh, verse, Exodus chapter 2, verse 3, it's a reference to uh, the uh, 
the mother of Moses, when she could hide him no longer. You know, Pharaoh uh, was conducting a pogrom against the Jews, killing all their infants. He was, he was tired of their numbers. They were filling Egypt. Notice the word filling. They were uh, filling the mandate of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, filling the land. Pharaoh gets very upset. He starts killing all the babies. And so, uh, mother is going to try as best she can to protect her son. When she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket. It's the English translation. It's literally ark. She makes an ark for her son Moses. And covered it over with tar and pitch. And then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. She sets him in a river. Uh, on the waters. And what's God going to do? Is God at work and all? Of course He is. That's what God does. He's always at work. Verse 5, Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the Nile with her maidens and walking alongside the isle. She saw the basket. No, she saw an ark with a baby in it. In the name of Moses. Among the reeds and sent her maid and brought it to her. In a moment, God has acted to deliver one very important baby who's going to grow up, become a redeemer for Israel. But there's a greater redeemer, Christ. Moses is a type of Christ. Noah is a type of Christ. God always at work providing an ark for deliverance. The means of judgment in Genesis chapter 6 is a flood. Again, it's an incredible display of the sovereignty of God that he's going to command nature. Uh, we have scientists in our world today that can study nature. Uh, and, and I thank God that they do. Uh, we have weather men and women, meteorologists that study nature. And, and that's a wonderful thing. They provide incredible benefits to us. God commands nature. I understand they come on the basis of natural law. Storms form on the coast of Africa and move this way. I don't know. I'm not a meteorologist. Uh, sometimes they become very powerful. They gain energy from the warmth of the ocean. And then they attack land. Great storms. Nor'easter. Cyclones. But who's king of the cyclones? Who's king of the northeaster? God is. It's the point of uh, Psalm 29.10. The Lord sits as king forever over nature because he commands it, because he controls it. Uh, I emphasize this uh, because God is sovereign, but he uses means. I emphasize this because oftentimes, particular people with our own uh, theological presuppositions that are given over to the great doctrines of the sovereignty of God, it's very easy for us to become passive. Well, God's in control. What well, is in control, but God gives us the means to use to express His sovereignty. God ordains the end of all things, but He also ordains the means to affect the end. One of the great battles that's always occurring in the church. Uh, we need to understand that God uses means, and we should engage in them. 
in the case of the original creation, think about it. God could have spoken the ark into existence. Genesis chapter 1. There was darkness over the surface of the deep, over the oceans. And God said, let there be light. And light appeared. God could have said, in the case of Genesis chapter 6, let there be an ark. And an ark would have just appeared. Because God's in command of the forest. He can shape the forest. He can make anything he wants to make. If he doesn't, he appoints a man to build an ark. Because God, in this case, uses means. God is absolutely sovereign. But we need to live out that reality that God ordains the means as well as the ends to affect His will. And that's the important point. One of the major points of this text. He's going to affect judgment. Uh, but He's going to use Noah to provide deliverance for one family and a measure of uh, all the creatures. Uh, it's also important to grasp the uh, enterprise that's before Noah. Because it's going to become very costly to him. Uh, and very, very time consuming. Uh, do you know the time it took Noah to build the ark? Yeah, yeah, you do. I mean, it's 120 years. Man, that's a long time to be faithful to God. In and of itself, that's a long time to walk with God. I mentioned last Sunday, it's very important. And you realize all the Noah jokes that Noah heard? He had to have been the butt of it all. But he walked with God. And 120 years, he persevered in the tasks that God gave him. Imagine how costly it must have been. Go down to the lumber store and buy this massive amount of wood. Fashion it. Mold it. Three stories high. Not only must he secure the materials he must use for the size of the ark, including three decks, he's also to provision it with food for his families and all of the creatures on board the ark for 150 days. Would you like to have that grocery bill? Noah using the means that God had given him. In some manner or form, God had prospered Noah, gave him the ability. Now he's to use that ability to effect deliverance for his family. Because he knows what's coming. I remind you, God uses means to fill the earth. Uh, the commission of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, falls to the church. A parallel is in the Great Commission. Go into all the world, baptizing and teaching. That's what we're to be about. Filling the earth with the glory of God. Claiming, claiming institutions and landfills for the glory of God. And the last element that's definitive for us as to how Noah walked with God is found in the last verse of the text. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. So Noah was obedient to God. You think there were ever occasions when Noah said, I mean, really, Lord? 120 years? Really? I'm sure that occurred. But he walked with God. 
persevered to the end. Reminded to all of us the profound example that that promulgates for each of us. Sometimes we have fits and starts in life. I mean, I get that. I do too. Uh, But he went the distance of the 120-year period building the ark, knowing that God was king of the flood and that it was going to come. And that God, in this case, uh, was going to use an ark for deliverance. The more important reality is the eschatological event that this history means for us today. Uh, We know from the Olivet Discourse that Jesus frames that that eschatological argument. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. At that point, we know that this history becomes a prologue for the future. It's important for the fact uh, because it should be definitive of our lives. The eyes of God are upon each of us. And we know from Genesis that the days were full of violence and corruption. The intensification in our day should not be lost upon us. And we should be all the quicker in walking with God and doing as God commands us to do because the eyes of God are upon us all. should be a marker for the urgency of the times. One of the things I think that many... Uh, people are uh, in danger of losing is a sense of urgency. That's the important of the eschatological import of the Olivet Discourse. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Today there's no absolutes. Therefore, no moral accountability whatsoever. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. The problem is that's not definitive. It's not their eyes that count. It's God's eyes that are upon us all. God says otherwise. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. Fear God, because He's going to judge all things. Uh, Today, the sons of the serpent have their counterfeit mandate. They're filling the earth, too, with violence and corruption. There's also another mandate that the sons of the serpent uh, are filling the earth with, and that's uh, false religions. Just going to pick one. There's time. Social justice and environmentalism. It's a false religion. Got to protect the earth. I love that bumper sticker. I don't see it much anymore. I think people maybe have become disgusted with it. Love your mother, the earth. I saw that yesterday. Charles pointed it out to me, a bumper sticker on a car, and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. It was a real-life example of an adherent to a very corrupt religion. Oh, by the way, um, God controls the earth. He sits as king over it. Uh, he'll turn out the lights when he wants to. Uh, in the interim, he's gathering his elect. Ought to quicken our steps. Uh, 
I would simply remind you that the means of this false religion are uh, violence and deception, uh, which translate that to mean really power and money grabs. Uh, if I can control your energy, I own you. I control you. Uh, no, we reject that. That's a religion. Our religion is God controls us. We're sovereign. We're going to worship and serve him and him alone, irrespective of the ways and religions of man. Uh, so the serpent, uh, uh, in a counterfeit way to our Lord's great commission, has flooded the world with false religions and uh, immorality, and it's come even into the church. Remind you of uh, the Apostle Paul's last uh, epistle, Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse four. You better preach the word. The time will come when they won't be able to endure sound doctrine, uh, but seeking teachers after their own desires who will tickle their ears, and they will be turned to myths. That myth has entered the church. Uh, eschatological reality. The Apostle Paul is saying that's what's going to occur in the last days. In other words, we are in the last days. Uh, the only event that is uh, going to come between us and eternity is the coming of the Son of Man. Everything is being fulfilled. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, men are not lovers of God. They're lovers of self. Uh, that's a very terrifying phrase. It's like every individual is walking down lover's lane, holding his own hand. Be very careful about uh, loving yourself too much. We're to love God. There is a sense in which we are to love ourselves, and rightfully so. We should love ourselves, uh, because God has made us, and God has created us, and God has given us our personalities and our attributes, and all that we do so we should love ourselves. Don't be disgusted with the way that God has created you and formed you and made you and where he has placed you. Because he knows what he's doing because he sits as king over your life. Our reminder, it's really what Paul is telling us, that the end time judgments have begun. It's reigning now in the presence of violence and corruption and false religion. We know that because the Bible tells us a uh, couple of illustrations, uh, Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is defining the corruption and violence of fallen man. And three times they give themselves over to worse immorality. But you know what follows that? God gave them over. How did they end in that estate? Of pursuing false ways of life because God gave them over. That's a terrifying aspect of the judgment of God. Not they gave themselves over. Certainly they did. But behind that, God gave them over in judgment. So many of the uh, immoral lifestyles and alternative lifestyles today, people think I'm free. Act of judgment by God. Uh, another one of my favorites, uh, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 17 uh, the prophet tells the nation of Israel, oh, you want false prophets? I'm going to give you false shepherds. I'm going to give you blind shepherds. I'm going to give you shepherds with withered arms. So think about it. The, the wolves come to attack the flock. What can a blind, 
half-blind shepherd do? What can a shepherd do that has lost use of his right arm? Zechariah is saying, oh, you want silliness in the church? I'll give you silliness. And they will not be able to protect you from the judgment that is coming. So, it is raining today. And God has an ark. Good news is uh, for us, it's the gospel, isn't it? God changes hearts. Uh, and saves in the greater ark, uh, who is Christ, who will take us to the environment of heaven. I, I'm always reminded of the environmental, uh, environmental movement today. They want to, uh, they're seemingly desperate to uh, uh, protect this earth. And, to a measure, I understand we're stewardships of God's creation. We want to take care of it. I mean, I understand that. Uh, but I don't make a religion out of it. Uh, but you know of a, of a place uh, in which there will be total social justice and environmental purity uh, that becomes unchangeable? Yeah, you know that place, don't you? It's called heaven. And our ark will get us there. No other ark will do. Only the ark who is Christ will deliver us to the safe shore of a world in which there is total social justice and love and mercy reign supreme. Um, it's a reminder, uh, Genesis uh, chapter 6 Verses 9 to 22 is an eschatological portent of our lives now and where we should place our hopes and dreams in the only great true ark who is God. Let me describe you uh, the ark uh, in simply one text, the fourth servant song. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9, in light of our culture. The prophet Isaiah says of uh, Christ, by the way, we know that the final servant song is descriptive of our Savior Christ because New Testament authors tell us so. But Isaiah 53 verse 9 is descriptive of Christ. A couple of beautiful reminders in terms of our culture today. There was no violence in him. False religion has to use violence to get their way. Christ doesn't have to use violence. There was no violence in Him. Something even more radically true that's incredible for each of you to know, there was no deceit in His mouth. False religion is flooded with deception that's in many pulpits this very day and this very hour. But respect to our ark, He had neither no violence no deception. He doesn't come to trick us with smooth words. He comes to save his own. Hide yourself in him. So Noah was a man of faith. We must be too. Uh, turn very quickly to important reference to Noah, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, you and I know that is the greatest hall of fame of all the world. Our world has many halls of fame. None of them mean anything at all to God. There's only one hall of fame. Hebrews chapter 11. 
Repeatedly you find the phrase, by faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. The great means that God gives, we apprehend the righteousness of Christ by faith. And the greatest miracle of all time, in my own estimation, begins, God in His grace imputes the very righteousness of His Son to our account. The merits of His obedience, because our continual disobedience cannot save us. By faith. Faith is the means by which we apprehend the grace of salvation. I'd like to become a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame, but you know what? I'm never going to make it. This is the Hall of Fame that really is the only one that really matters. By faith, uh, we, we enter that Hall of Fame. By faith, we apprehend God's favor through the work of Christ uh, for us. That's how Noah did it. Uh, we know from biblical theology that Noah's trusting Christ. Uh, we know that the reason he's building the ark is because Jesus Christ is the greater ark, that there is only safety in Him. That He's the only ark that can deliver from the waters of judgment and the curse of Genesis chapter 3. Uh, by the way, you and I as Christians uh, live under that curse too. Bad things happen to us. I understand that. What's our deliverance? Christ. Christ is the ark that can deliver us from this sad world. He's an ark that can be trusted. Be sure. Coming to faith, we must continue to use means. Throughout the enterprise of building the ark, Noah kept preaching until the day he entered it despite seeing no results whatsoever. What a remarkable man of faith. He walked with God for 120 years. He kept preaching even though he saw no converts whatsoever. Well, so must we. Well, the greater reality of this text, eschatological as well as the historical reality, is that God has started again in Christ. He is the last restart. No restarts after Him. And so if you do not know Christ as your Savior, uh, the only way to uh, find safety uh, in the midst of a world of violence and corruption uh, and the rains that have begun to fall is in the ark who is Christ. And uh, may God be gracious to you to believe and hope in Him. For without hope and faith in Jesus Christ, all is lost. But in Him, all is gained including the entrance into the pristine beauty and majesty of the heavenly shores.